Today's scripture reading is from Ephesians 6, verses 21 through 24. In addition to your own Bible, you may find it on the back side of your message notes. If you are able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. This is the word of God. Well, for the rest of the world, this is vacation season. You're here at a church today, so you didn't get to take vacation. Uh, uh, maybe you're taking one another time, or maybe you're here because you're on vacation. But uh, summer is the time when we take so many vacations and we go to fantastic places. I don't know what a favorite vacation spot for you is, but one of my favorite places that we ever visited as a family was when we went camping up in Utah and went to Zion National Park and went to Bryce Canyon Park and all those beautiful places. And we also, on that same trip, went to Grand Canyon National park and stayed on the north side of the rim and every time we go we would go we would and whenever we'd go to those places just before we left we was like we had to take one last look over the panorama of Grand Canyon or one last look down into the heart of Bryce Canyon or one last look up at those beautiful uh, red formations in Zion National Park. We want to see one more time the experience that we've had or Yosemite, which is probably our favorite place to have ever gone. We went there on our honeymoon. You want to see Bridal Veil Falls one more time or Yosemite Falls or Half Dome Rock, all of those things. You want to see them and sort of fix them into your mind. I feel a little bit like that today as we take our last look at this great little book, Ephesians. We've, this is now the 21st time we've looked at that book. We started on the 1st of January, and except for breaks for holidays and such and the church calendar and so, we've consistently been making our way uh, through the caverns and the crevices and the canyons of this great book of Ephesians. It's a panoramic book in which the Apostle Paul tells to us the big story about what God is doing in the universe. Uh, you know, often in the news you'll say, our top story to tonight, the big story, and it's something which probably will be gone by tomorrow night and not so important, but it's the big story today. In the book of Ephesians, we see the true big story of what God is doing in the, in, the, in, the, in the universe. How the God in the first chapter has blessed us in the spiritual realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ because he chose us and in him he predestined us to be adopted as his sons. He gave to us forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ and ma made to known to us the purpose of his will which is to unite everything together in Christ until the end of the time and he's given to us his Holy Spirit as the seal of our redemption and he's created this church family, his body, so that he could be all in all. That's Ephesians chapter 1, which picks us up out of the doldrums of a midsummer July day and say, wait, we're part of a big story. 
story, a huge story, which began at the foundation before the world was formed and continues until Jesus, when God will remake this world in the new heavens and the new earth, and he'll let us be a part of that with the new reconstituted bodies that we will have because of our faith in him, bodies like unto his glorious body. This is what God is doing in the world. And so in the second chapter, he begins to tell us how God has accomplished his plan. First of all, by rescuing individual persons through Jesus' shed blood on our behalf. He tells us that we were that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We used to walk according to the patterns of this world and were by nature objects of God's wrath. But the God had reached out to us and in his grace had saved us by the giving to us of his son, Jesus Christ, who was, uh, was, was raised from the dead and is seated up in the heavenly realms and has saved us by his grace. In that famous chapter, for by grace are you saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And just as we're starting to think, oh, I'm so glad God did that for me personally, he reminds us in the very next section that when God saved me personally, he made me part of a great big old family. And it's not a family that are people just like me. That's one of the mistakes we make. We tend to think, well, the family's going to be all my good friends. No. <laughs> what the gospel did is it turned former enemies into brothers and sisters in Christ. A brand new family. And you also, as he called, he said to those Gentiles, and that's probably most of us here, you who are far away from God, without hope and without God, strangers to the covenant of the promise, God has brought you near together so that he's created one new humanity out of the two, divide, breaking the dividing wall of hostility by his shed blood. I'm paraphrasing but, paraphrasing, but rather closely, if you will check it, the second chapter of Ephesians. So that we see we weren't just saved to enjoy a personal relationship with God. And now it's Jesus and me for each tomorrow, for every heartache and every sorrow. Some of you know that. Do you know that? Anybody here heard that song before? Come on. Uh, I know that I can depend upon my newfound friend. And so till the end, it's Jesus and me, which has a truth to it. But it's not Jesus just and you. It's Jesus and we. I'm part of a family, and God expects me to be part of that family, and that makes for a, a difficult marriage of people who are very different from one another, who might have different economic levels, who might have different political points of view, who might have different last names, who might speak different languages, who might be different genders. All these people are very different, brought together. You guys see that? How many churches do you get to watch a roadrunner go by? Oh, he almost tripped in that hole too. I'm sorry. I love roadrunners. They are a sign of good luck? Well, I'm glad to hear that. All right, enough of that. He has created a new family. God's grace. And... Uh, and, and Paul was given this special commission by God, a place in that to tell people about his grace. And he talks about that in the third chapter. 
And then he begins to describe how it is that this new humanity which God has made out of us begins to work itself out as we have a calling to live like Jesus in this world. As a part of the church community, as a part of our local families, we're supposed to put off the old self and put on the new self, made to be like Christ. We tend to think that means your, your body is bad, but that's not what it's saying. It's your body is good, but it has been corrupted by your selfish desires, and Jesus wants to make you in the new, truly good human being that you are designed to be, your better self, your best self, your loving self instead of your lusting self, your giving self instead of your taking self, your serving self instead of your serve me self, this new kind of humanity. And he gives us many principles for that, how that can take place. And, then at the cl- and that shows it even within our families. And, uh, and then as it gets into that uh, uh, sixth chapter, he reminds us that we're in the midst of a middle big conflict because the, war, the flesh wars against the spirit, and it makes for a battle that we all feel within our hearts. And then now, as he gets toward the end of this book, he turns to his friend Tychicus, who has been his amanuensis during the course of this letter. He's his secretary. Most people who didn't write their own, there were people who were specially skilled in, you know, in, um, in writing. And so the apostle Paul comes to uh, Tychicus and he takes the quill out of his hand and he pens the word which Bud read for you at the close of this, uh, this book. This was commonly done because this would then verify to the receiver of the book that the writer of the book actually was the man who claimed to have written it. In fact, in the book of Galatians, he says, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. See, he doesn't say that here in Ephesians, probably because it was a circular letter, not simply for the church at Ephesus, but a variety of churches around in Asia Minor. And he says, so that you may also know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister of the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. And then I believe, continuing in his own hand, he says, Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. So as we close our look at this book... We have these beautiful personal words that Paul writes. First of all, for his friend Tychicus, his companion, who's going to be taking that letter to those churches. And then a personal word which he now says to those people themselves, a personal blessing. So we have this book, which is a book of blessing. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the spiritual places with every spiritual blessing in Christ. As the book began in the first chapter, it closes with some final blessings. First of all, a blessing for the man Tychicus. And secondly, a blessing for the church that will be receiving this letter. Well, let's take a look at these in a very simple look at, first of all, a blessing for his beloved brother and a blessing for his beloved church family. A blessing, Paul closes with a blessing for his beloved brother Tychicus and a blessing for his beloved church family, that church there in Ephesus. Let's take a look at, first of all, the blessing for his beloved brother 
Tychicus. You know, when we come to these parts of the scriptures, we often tend to read over them. We got over the, all the good stuff, and now we're just going to, you know, these are the final greetings. And uh, that's true, I suppose, unless it's personal to you. A week or so ago, we had a movie shown at our house, and uh, I stopped it after about one minute into the movie, and I said, all right, you can all go home now. You've seen the good part. Those of you who are there remember why I did that, right? Because that was a movie that my son Kyle had been the editor of. And while 99.5% of all the people who ever see that movie never notice what it says, edited Kyle Gilbertson, I noticed it. And that was a big deal to me because that was my son. And of course, at the end of the movie, I had to wait and to see the end of it as the credits rolled on through. Why? When it's personal to you, you pay attention. And so here we have Tychicus receiving a personal word of encouragement from the Apostle Paul and that local church receiving a personal word of encouragement to him, to them. So in Tychicus, it says, so that you may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you, he, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. This man, Tychicus, is a rather obscure person in Scripture. We don't know much about him except that he is actually mentioned five times. He's mentioned in Acts uh, 20, 24. He's mentioned here in Colossians 4, 7 and in 2 Timothy uh, 4 7 and in Titus 3 12. He was apparently a close companion. We know that Paul did not travel alone. He always had people with him. And Tychicus was, Tychicus was apparently someone who was with him in many parts during his journey. He was with him while he was there in prison in Ephesus, right, or in, in prison, writing that letter to the church at the Ephesians. From these brief notes that we see of Tychicus in the Bible, we can glean several things about him. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 24, we learn that he was from Asia. And he, he was part of that church there uh, in Ephesus. And so he's from that area in modern day Turkey. Perhaps he was a resident of Ephesus. We assume that he was probably a convert to Christianity through Paul's ministry there in Ephesus. Perhaps he had training as an accountant or as a bookkeeper or something like that because he was one of the five men, or one, excuse me, one of the seven men who were sent from Ephesus with that cash offering for the church in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 20, verse 24, Tychicus, a, from Asia, it says, was, was part of the caravan of people that brought that love gift from Paul's, uh, from Ephesus to, uh, uh, to Jerusalem. And it's when Paul got in Jerusalem then that he was captured and then uh, imprisoned in Rome, ultimately, and where he may have written this letter from. So it's very possible. We know that Tychicus went with them along to Ephesus, so he would have seen all of Paul's journeys. He was probably there when Paul went into the temple area for his own consecration and arrived occurred and the Roman soldiers rescued him from the Jewish uh, religious leaders and put him into prison and he spent that next two year period of time waiting to be challenged, waiting to uh, uh, waiting to uh, appear before the court and when you were in prison oftentimes the government didn't provide for your food family and friends had to bring for you so Tychicus stayed 
with, uh, uh, with Paul. And he traveled him. He was probably on the ship that went from, uh, went all the way to Rome, that famous shipwreck. We know that Luke was there, and there were others in Paul's group that were there. Probably it was Tychicus. Can you imagine the harrowing adventures that he experienced as he began to travel with Paul as his uh, helper, as a companion to him? He almost lost his life, and he finds himself now in Rome. And Paul says, I want to write a letter to Ephesus. Tychicus, will you take it for me? Paul couldn't travel, but Tychicus could. He was from that area. And so Tychicus had been his loyal companion. He's one of the many unsung heroes, often unnamed persons in the Bible who are part of this growing movement in the church. You see, the church, uh, as we look through our course of history, we see lots of famous people, people who are important people perhaps, but we forget there were scores and scores of other people who just did their job, who were companion, companions and faithful and serving. Uh, the apostle Paul had Tychicus along with him. And so he says, I want to tell you about Tychicus. He says about him, he is my beloved brother. Can you imagine hearing the apostle Paul, your hero, say to your friends, Tychicus is coming along. He's my beloved special brother. One of the things you see in the early church is these people weren't just friends. They were family they were brothers and sisters in Christ. He is my beloved brother. And so there's an important lesson for us in all of this as we think about this. Each of us, even if our roles in the church seem to be obscure or unimportant, we're all part of that glorious thing that God is doing. I'm so encouraged when I arrive here on Sunday mornings um, and I see all these people who've been scurrying around to set up so that you could come and have worship. If you had coffee, if you're crazy like me and you drink coffee in the middle of the summer, someone made that for you today. Someone made sure that there were blankets on all of these tables. Someone made sure that you could hear my voice, and hopefully he will allow me to continue to speak because he controls. He's going to hit the button if I care. Uh, a week or two ago, I said the, the cord was too short. I said it as an, at an offhand way. But sure enough, the next week, Brian had gotten me a long cord so that I could come and spit right in your face if I want to. I didn't ask for that, but he, he did that, Brian and others. But Brian is a beloved brother. Brian and Michelle were part of the original group, along with just a few of you, who were in that very room, who said, let's go do this church. And I tell you, people like Brian, people like Michelle, these people who've been faithful servants from the very beginning, people like Steve Light, you, you get this program every week, how do you think it gets in your hands, you know? We have people over here who make it for you. They fold it for you. They sit there and they pass it out to you. These are beloved brothers. And many of you who serve in many ways, I know you don't expect to be acknowledged, but I so appreciate you. You are part of what God is doing here in this, uh, in this, in this community. Um, he is my beloved brother, and he is a faithful minister. And the word minister is really the word servant. That doesn't mean he was an ordained pastor. In fact, they didn't really have that uh, in the, those days. But he's a faithful servant. I am so grateful that our church is so filled with faithful servants. Thank you so much. You are the ones, I think, who bring credibility to the gospel message here by the way you serve and the way you love and the way you make this a pleasant place for us to come on a, on a, on a Sunday morning. He is a beloved brother. 
He is a faithful servant in the Lord, and he will tell you everything. Typically, what would happen then is the Apostle Paul would uh, type out that letter. No, he didn't type it out. And neither did he would, they would write that letter, carry this parchment, travel a long ways to it. But then the person who's bearing the letter, it would be his responsibility to read the letter and to explain it. In many ways, he was kind of like a preacher is in some t- uh, today. He would read the letter, and he would be able to ask, answer questions because he was there when the letter was written. He's the, he's the specially designated interpreter of the letter. That's why it's especially significant that in the book of Romans, the, the carrier of the letter was actually, believe it or not, a woman who was going to be carrying the letter, reading the letter, interpreting it there for the church family there in Rome. In this case, it was Tychicus. He said he will... He will Um, He will tell you everything. I have sent him for this very purpose so that you may know how we are and so that he may encourage your hearts. We live in such a fractured individualistic society today and it infects the way Christians feel about their faith. But we want to recapture the fact that we are a family together, a family in Christ. This is the blessing for Tychicus. Let's then look at the blessing for his beloved church family in Ephesus. Paul signs off with several personal wishes for those, those church people together there that day. He says, first of all, um, let me read it for you. Verse 23, peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible with love incorruptible. We see, he says, we want to give peace to the brothers and the sisters. The brother, Peace is an important theme in Ephesians. He opens and closes with peace. The second verse is, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And it closes with this statement about peace. You see, in the Bible story, this great story, as you've heard me say ad nauseum perhaps, that God has made a beautiful world which has been broken by human rebellion, but has been rescued by God's grace and restored by Jesus' resurrection. You see, what God is really doing, one way to tell that story, is God has created a world with shalom, which was broken by human rebellion, and the purpose of Jesus' coming was to restore shalom. Shalom. In the Old Testament, shalom meant peace or harmony or wholeness, completeness, prosperity, welfare, and tranquility. The New Testament word for that is irene, irene, depending on how you say that uh, in the Greek language. Peace in the Bible is not simply the absence of conflict like truce would be, you know. Peace is not just the absence of conflict, though of course it includes that. It, inclu- it actually involves the presence of th- something. It's the putting together of what had been broken. In fact, in the Old Testament, that word shalom can be used in a variety of ways. In the book of Joshua, it's used with regard to a stone. When it says you are make an altar that is a shal- out of stones which are shalom, what does he mean? Uncracked, unbroken complete stones. And you could speak about a wall in another passage of Scripture as a shalom wall, a wall without gaps, a wall knit together. See, peace is not just that everything is hunky-dory, but rather everything is coming together. Peace is when things are brought together into a complete state of completeness or of wholeness. In Job chapter 5 and verse 24, Job says, My tents are in a state of shalom. 
My tents are in a state of shalom. Because he was counting his flocks and none of them were missing, you see. The core idea is that life is very complicated with lots of moving parts. And God's plan was to have it all function together in a beautiful symbiosis. It was broken by human rebellion and the relationship when God us and us was fractured. Our internal relationship was broken as well. Our relationship with others were broken. Our relationship with culture, all it was broken and the pieces don't fit together. Like gears which don't quite fit anymore. One of the things I, a lot of you know I ride a bicycle, and one of the things I have to do every so often is I need to replace that chain. It wears out, and I'd be riding along just before one of my long trip, and, and I was slipping out of gear. I'm trying to go, and it's slipping out. You've had that happen in your transmission a few times, and you've got to get it together. Shalom is when everything fits together like it should. Yes, Solomon, it says, completes the temple. Shalom, the temple. Yes. Peace is not merely the absence of conflict. It requires taking what is broken and restoring it to wholeness. And so Ephesians is filled with this message of peace, grace, and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Ephesians 2.14, For Jesus himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. He's created one new man out of the two, so making peace. And so he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Jesus came to bring peace. That's why Christians should not be divisive in this world. We should be peacemakers, bringing people together. Jesus brought peace. We need to bring peace. And in chapter 4 and verse 3, he says we should be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We don't create peace, but we can destroy peace. We need to let the Spirit bring about peace. And so the apostle Paul prays for them that they would have peace in their relationship both with God and with one another. And so I ask you, before we move to the next of these blessings, do you have peace with God? Have you responded in faith to God? Have you let go of your pretensions and your pride and received his forgiveness and his grace? Peace with God. And how about shalom in your relationships? Do you have peace in your relationships with other people? In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if the one takeaway that this message has for some of us is that we want to go and make peace with someone. Peace with someone with whom we have a fractured relationship. The second thing that he prays, he says, I pray that you'd have peace, peace to the brothers. And he says an, an interesting phrase, and that you'd have love with faith. Peace to the brothers and love with faith. From God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ, love with faith. Love is used 11 times in in this book, and faith is used 7 times in this book. It's used in the 15th verse as well. I heard of your faith and your love, of chapter 1 I should say. Your faith and your love. Faith in the Lord Jesus and love for all the saints. So he prays that they would have love with faith. And I've been reflecting on that combination of love and faith faith. They go together apparently. Love and faith are in Jesus. We need love because love is not love without trust. Love is a statement of trust. 
And faith is not faith without some sort of object. So we need love and faith. We are very confused in our culture today. We want to say God is love, and that just means anything goes. No, that's not, that's not true for your children. If you love your children, you don't just say anything goes. In fact, if you hate them, you might do that. Not if you love them. You know they, you, need to, you, need, uh, you need to set boundaries, and so you have, to, uh, you have to create those boundaries. Yes, love and faith. And a lot of times we think about faith as, well, he's a person of faith. In fact, I had a conversation just last night with someone who, uh, who asked me about my beliefs about a certain hot topic. And I wanted to be as, and this was unfortunately a text conversation, which you don't want to have these, but this is the way. I didn't, know, I didn't know the person, but I felt I needed to respond. So I gave an honest response, a loving response, I thought, about how I felt about that topic and what I thought that topic meant. And then I got the response back that says, that's all right. We all have our own views. Well, that's, that's our cultural value, isn't it? It's, we all have our own views, Right. They asked me what mine were, what ours were, and I said, well, we, we believe in the, the, the importance of Scripture, and so we try to align, your, align our teachings with what the Scriptures say, and this is what the Scripture says about that topic, you know. That's okay. We all have our own views. See, that's the way we want to look at faith. But our faith is in the person of Jesus Christ, in the gospel, the good news. Our love must be grounded. So he prays for them that they will get love and faith, faith and love, they both go together. Because, and love, in fact, is mentioned several times in this text as it goes through. I think it's three or four times. Um, uh, that Peace to be the, to the brothers and love with faith from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible or love undying. Yes, our love, at the bottom line, it's all about love. Love. Love with faith. And then the third thing he prays for, or blessing that he offers them, is the blessing of grace. Again, this is, he begins the book with grace. He ends the book with grace. The whole book is really about grace. In chapter 1, in grace and peace to you. And in chapter 1 and verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And in chapter 2, verse 5, God with his great love for us has made us alive together with Christ. By grace have you been saved. And so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace toward us and kind Jesus for us. By grace you have been saved several times. In chapter 3, in verses 7 and 8, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. In the chapter 4 and verse 7, grace was given to each one of us. Grace mixed with love, built upon faith. It's all about Jesus. So the apostle Paul gives to them these great blessings, these great blessings of peace and love with faith and grace to all who love Jesus with an incorruptible love. I think as we close out this book, we want to say to the Lord, Lord, give me those gifts too. Give me the gift of shalom, of peace. Put together what's broken in my heart and in my life and in my relationships with others. I want to receive your peace. 
and give to me a love which was built upon the faith and the gospel of the one who loved me and gave himself for me. A love given for you, an undying love. You know, I... um, I remember talking a few weeks ago, a month ago, to a fellow church planter who had, was struggling so hard with his church and was feeling like quitting. And of course, if you know our story, you know that this is not the first time I've tried to start a church. We had a failed church plant. And so I had so much com- compassion for this person. And he asked me, how did you make it through when you had to go through that difficult process? And I said to him, I don't know. I just, I, to me, the bottom line is if you love Jesus with your whole heart, you'll never quit on him. You'll never quit on him. And I think I said to him, I think that's what sustained me is that even though I was angry, even though I was disappointed, even though I was afraid, even though it was a hard time, I could never stop loving the one who had given his life for me. And I just hoped that someday God would bring a good story out of the hard story of my life. You see, love will keep us together. Take that old song. Love does. God has expressed his love for us. And God has loved us with an unending love. He says, I want you to love him back. And God's grace as well. Grace, he said. See, grace is that beautiful story that God has given to us what, uh, what we don't earn and deserve. He's given us a relationship with him, not based upon our good deeds, but upon his grace. It's a costly grace because it costs Jesus his very life, but it was given to us gladly. So the apostle Paul closes with those words of peace and grace and love and faith and the blessing for his brother, Tychicus. Will you pray with me as we close? Father, I want to thank you for your grace, for your love, for your sacrifice for us. I want to thank you that you have reached out to us and that we belong to you. I pray that you'd help us to be responsive to your grace. And if there are any here today who've not received you, and received that gift of your peace, may this be the moment. Thank you that you are willing to love us with a dying love so that we could love you with an undying love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.